We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon football has brought in a lot of new talent from the transfer portal in these last two cycles, and we're going to be taking a look at which group is going to leave the bigger impact on today's episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How you living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. Make sure you guys like, comment, and subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, appreciate those of you that have and your continued support of the show if you're a frequent listener or viewer. Uh, got an exciting episode in store for you today, and I am not riding solo. I am joined by my friend Spencer McLaughlin. He's the host of Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12 and does an, a lot of awesome work. Frequent guest on the show. Been a little minute, but uh, how we doing, man? Thanks for being here. Dude, always happy to come on with you. We are we are doing well. It's June, and yet I can't stop talking about college football. Yeah, that's exactly how uh, exactly how I feel too. You know, football is really ramping up. Recruiting's ramping up. Well, football isn't so much ramping up. A lot of discussion points, but recruiting's ramping up. I'm gonna be heading out to the Elite Eleven later this afternoon. Uh, so excited for that to see a lot of the top college recruits in the country, high school football recruits. But man. Let's talk a little bit about the transfer portal. That's our plan on today's episode. I mean, we I think we've been kind of, you know, uh, pretty transparent about it, but sometimes we don't plan these a whole lot because, you know, you and I talk so much and do all these things. We just kind of let it rip. Um, we're, just all, we're, all, we're always preparing. Yeah, this we're always like pick, preparing. Pick a, top, pick a topic and let it fly. Yeah, so, so we're going to be talking about the 2022 and 2023 transfer portal halls for Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks. That's our basis our focus on today's episode. But before we get to that, I had a couple of uh, couple of small little updates that we wanted to get into um, as far as recruiting goes. Um, we talked a little bit on on yesterday's episode about how Justin Williams, uh, the five-star linebacker target for Oregon out of the state of Texas, is going to be taking his official visit this weekend. Uh, and then you also see uh, that Elijah Rushing is going to be taking his official visit this weekend. So two top five-star defensive targets for Oregon will be coming on campus uh, this weekend. And um, honestly, I think it's two guys that uh, Oregon has a great shot at landing. 
Spencer, everyone has their attention on that June 23rd weekend, but this weekend, this upcoming June 16th weekend, it's it's no slouch, and it's going to be a big opportunity for Oregon to make some progress with our top guys. Yeah, it is, and, and you know what we're looking for on the recruiting trail right now is when is Oregon going to land their first five-star, right? And what position is it going to be at? And I think there's a pretty good likelihood that, uh, that, that it'll, or high likelihood, I should say, that it'll come on the defensive side of the ball. Now, as for which guy that ends up being, not sure. The most likely five-star offensive player would be Brandon Baker, the number one offensive tackle out of modern day high school. Oregon just got one of his teammates, Jack Ressler, in the 2024 cycle, three-star wide receiver there. So I, I think that that's kind of the next big domino is who's the first five-star? Do you get another one? Do you get three, right? Because, you know, last year's class ended up with two, Mateo and Jurion Dickey, but they were really, really close to having four, right? If Kenny Dillingham doesn't leave, Dante Moore is a duck. And the whole Peyton Bowen situation, I, I still don't think anyone fully understands what the hell happened there. And he committed to Oregon and then didn't sign. And then there was, like, nobody really knows. So, I think it's pretty reasonable that Oregon can end up with, with more than two, but I think two five-stars in every class is kind of the standard now that, that Dan Lanning and, and this coaching staff have set, that they're capable of getting at least two, but why couldn't they get three? Why couldn't they get four? Because they basically had three to four locked up a season ago, and as time goes on, I think you only get better uh, as, as your results continue to improve on the field as well and your recruiting results as well. So... I look at guys like Elijah Rushing and say, yeah, that'd be a foundational defensive piece. Pair him with Mateo Uyunglele and, you know, maybe Jordan Birch if he comes back. Like, uh, that'd be that'd be a pretty elite offensive line. I'd like to see him get a five-star interior guy. Williams Dwineri comes to mind out of Missouri. David Stone out of Texas. Those are kind of the two biggest fish on the interior that Oregon is after, and I would love to see him get either. Um, obviously, getting both would be amazing, but... You know, uh, Justin Williams is—is is it Ju Justin Williams is the five-star linebacker and Dylan is the four-star? Mm -hmm. Okay, so and no relation between those two. It's just out there to confuse us and whatnot. I think those are names at, at positions that that Oregon can certainly stack up on from the high school ranks as well. And I, I think that any one of the you know the front seven has really been kind of the core of the Dan Lanning. Uh, recruiting success over the last couple of years in the secondary too. So that, that's kind of what I'd be watching for in the recruiting front. So who's the first five-star? What position is he at? And do any more follow uh, in the immediate aftermath? Yeah, I think, and we talked, we had that one episode, Spencer, where we kind of just talked about how many five-stars we're going to land. I think three is definitely realistic. Uh, four mm -hmm. is something where it's maybe not as likely, but, you know, they're kind of flirting with that possibility. And I think that it's just based off of the, look at the sheer quantity of five stars that they're involved with. Cause we kind of broke it down in our episode as far as realistic, you know, maybe a, a reach, like you talk about reach schools when you're applying to colleges and whatnot. Um, so I think that, you know, the five-star conversation is always a really interesting one that a lot of people want to join that discussion, but there's a lot of quality high four stars that they're going after. I mean, just look at the, the cornerback position, for example, you know, Though that's a position that's kind of seen a shift uh, in recent weeks with Dakota Fields pledging to USC, Xavier Brown kind of effectively cutting Oregon out of uh, his his top schools, but they're still going after some really talented guys, high four stars like Aaron Scott Jr., who just took his OV, Bryce West, uh, another guy out of the state of Ohio that has Oregon in his top schools. So it's really important to, to you know strive for those guys, but it's not the end of the world if they can't get them. All that said, the two five stars that are coming to Eugene this weekend, Oregon's got a heck of a shot to make some serious noise with both of them. 
and uh, obviously hopes to to land them at some point. Is, ru- so, is rushing, and then who was the other one? Uh, the other one is Justin Williams. Justin Williams, okay, yeah, the linebacker. Yeah, Justin Williams. So um, those are two guys. You know, I think Elijah rushing is a lot more realistic right now. He's kind of winding down his OV schedule. Has gone out to uh, Notre Dame recently, Arizona as well. Uh, but Justin Williams, I think, is is kind of I feel like he's on that level of Mateo last year, where it's just that could be a huge recruiting win and a massive statement. And then Dylan Williams was just on campus this past weekend. So I think that even though maybe guys aren't coming on that June 23rd, but not all of their guys are coming on that June 23rd weekend. Like, you know, Justin Williams is going to be in Georgia. They're a huge threat in his recruitment. Um, like it's not the end of the world. That's still going to be a very big weekend. Guys like Kamar Matuti are coming out. Um, Michael Van Buren, uh, one of Oregon's quarterback commits is going to be back uh, in town. Just talked to him yesterday. Going to try to get that interview out to you guys pretty soon. So it's a busy, busy time with recruiting, but I thought that that would be a cool little segue or intro because really when you think about it, Spencer, there's, you know, two types of recruiting. Now you have high school and you have the transfer portal. And I think that there, it's really interesting to compare the two because there's different approaches. Uh, Both of those processes move at different paces, you know, transfer portal stuff happens in the blink of an eye. High school recruitments are oftentimes much more drawn out. But uh, Oregon has, a, a once again, a very strong haul in the transfer portal uh, ahead of the 2023 season. So I just kind of wanted to, to kind of pick your brain and kind of have some good discussion about, you know, kind of the guys that stand out from both of those respective halls and then ultimately kind of trying to work towards a conclusion of which group do we think is going to have a bigger impact because um, there were some one-year guys from, from both uh, halls. And I think it's important to kind of lay the foundation that maybe that 2022 class, they, they had some serious guys like Gonzo and, and Bo Nix and Bucky Irving, um, you know, those last two who are going to have more than one season with the Ducks. So, yeah, let's just kind of maybe maybe we could get into the 2022 haul a little bit or if, if you had any other uh, you know thoughts to kind of start this discussion off with. Well, I think big picture when you're looking at the two transfer portal classes, I think that 2022, and it's hard to know, because we haven't seen any of the 2023 guys take the field, of course. But I think you have more high-end production and talent in the 2022 cycle. But I think you have a greater depth of talent and production and guys who are going to contribute in the 2023 class. And what I mean by that is you had Bo Nix, Christian Gonzalez, and Bucky Irving. That's your starting running back, your starting corner cornerback, who is a first-round NFL draft pick, and your starting and did I just say quarter quarter running corner? All of those backs, starters, yeah, <laughs> yeah, are are not just starters. They were high-end starters, and Bo Nix was phenomenal. He literally set the Oregon single-season completion record. There is a zero percent chance that you can bring in a transfer at another position who's as impactful as Bo Nix was in 2022. You can't have it because you're not going to bring in, you're not bringing in another quarterback, and that's the most important, most impactful position on the field. Then you look at the fact that Bucky Irving was, I don't know, really, really good all the time and was Oregon's top running back and leading rusher, went over a 1,000 yards a year ago and did a lot of other really, really good things. And that was, you know, kind of after they 
were trying to figure out. Remember that Georgia game? We saw all four running backs, and we thought that'd be the thing, and then Cardwell and Dollars kind of faded, and Whittington and Irving rose to the top and became, you know, a really dynamic tandem, and then Dollars was, you know, kind of the pass-catching back in there, which I, I, I really liked, by the way, and then Jordan James in the goal line. But I don't think you have those guys necessarily in the 2023 class. That doesn't mean you don't have good players who will make an impact, but, you know, which offensive skill position guy is going to come in and set a season set set an all-time program record like Bo Nix did and which guy could come in and lead his position group in the most important offensive category. I I don't see that in this class though there are some impactful guys to be sure and then also which guy that that comes in on defense is going to play so well he'll be a first round NFL draft pick. Yeah. Maybe maybe Jordan Birch maybe, but I don't see that here. However, I see more starters or, you know, regular rotation guys from this class than, than I do in 2022. There are also just more players overall. There were 10 transfers a year ago and there are 15 this season. So that that's, that's a part of it. But that was kind of the biggest thing that, that stood out to me was kind of, kind of quality over quantity, which doesn't mean that both didn't have quality and quantity, but I think your quantity is higher in 23 and your quality was better in 22. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a, you know, an interesting thing to look at because they, they also had different needs, you know, going into each of those seasons, you know, cornerback was a, a glaring need and you needed to get, and you go to get Gonzo literally could not have panned out any better. You know, he was your lockdown cornerback one ends up going uh, to the first round and then you get Buck Yervin and Noah Whittington, not that running back was a glaring need, but you bring in those two guys, like you know, you just talked about, you know, Carwell and Dollars probably could have gotten it done, but um, that's not ultimately what ended up happening. Um, so you bring in Bucky and Noah, and they just have they they flourish. But now you're looking at this year, and you don't have a need uh, in the backfield necessarily. Um, and then you got wide receiver with Chase Cota last year. You know, he was the most impactful wide receiver from the portal that they got. But then you also had Caleb Chapman who came over from A and M and never really saw the field, you know, didn't really carve out a role. Um, and then in 23, now you have an off a needed offensive line. So you have to look at those guys as, you know, possible plug and play options, whether it's a Johnny Cornelius at tackle or junior angle on the interior. We didn't really get to see much of him in spring. He didn't play in that spring game. So we're still kind of waiting to see, you know, what the ducks have there. And then you have uh, Nishad Strouther um, along the O line as well, a later addition from, from East Carolina, and I think one of the one of the to your point, Spencer, when we're just talking about the sheer numbers difference, I think that when you saw them take fewer transfers in the 22 cycle, part of it was because of those needs and those guys, you know, played right away. I think kind of a, a, a way to look at this 23 class that they have is that you have some, you know, glaring need guys that are that you had to get positions that you needed to address. Um, most notably probably at the offensive line. I think that's probably where you needed the most help. But then you also look at guys like Justin Jacobs and, and Connor Soley at linebacker. You needed some help there. Um, maybe you didn't need as much help as they ultimately got at wide receiver. You know, like Troy Franklin's your, your guy, but you also have Chris Hudson and some younger guys coming in. Like I think that Gary Bryant Jr. was a little bit of a surprise. Not the fact that they got him, but that they, you know, maybe pursued him as hard no, as they I did. I felt the same way. Because they already had Holden and, and Tez. Um, but that's why I think there's a couple guys here in the 23 class that you don't see 
the same of in the 22 class that were luxuries and, and not glaring needs. Like the way that they were able to get Gary Bryan Jr. late, I think that was a luxury. Um, the way that you got Strouther late, I don't think that you necessarily needed another offensive lineman, but you wanted to, you know, kind of double down and make sure that you were good. Nico Reed, I think that was another late addition that they kind of would have been all right if they didn't go into the season getting him. But you get a guy like him, got that familiarity with Demetrius Martin, uh, got some good you know, production at Colorado, and I think that that makes you feel even better about your cornerback spot, um, which honestly we can both agree was still pretty lacking last year aside from Gonzo. I'm not saying it was horrible, but it's not. it wasn't nearly at the level that they needed it to be. And when you can add some of those luxury guys, I think that you are – you know, kind of condensing your margin of error and um, just kind of covering your bases a little bit better for lack of a better you know way to say that. Yeah, I think Bryant and Reed definitely fall into the same category of you'll take them because they're pretty talented guys and they've been productive power five players in this conference as a matter of fact, but you're adding them to a position group that I didn't feel like there was a need necessarily because the receiver room of Troy Franklin, Treshawn Holden, and I mean, you got Jerry Undickey coming in with Ted Johnson and Chris Hudson and Kyler Casper is there. I didn't look at that and think, boy, we really need another wide receiver who's a proven entity like Troy Franklin, Treshawn Holden, Chris Hudson, proven entities, Tez Johnson, pretty proven, Kyler Casper, Jerry Undickey, a lot of upside with both of those guys. To me, that felt like enough. Um, but they add Gary Bryant and I'm like, okay, that's I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say it's, you know, completely illogical or that I don't want to have a talented guy on the roster because, you know, what if you have cluster injuries? Yeah, you'd like to have guys who are capable of, of being able to step up. And Nico Reed at corner, I think, was more surprising given how many DBs are in the room. Like, they already brought in Kyrie Jackson from, from Alabama, who, according to Phil Steele, is preseason all-Pac-12 first team. I cannot That's exciting say to see you know hopefully he can live up to that I, I would love if he lived up to that sort of hype I just didn't have that sort of hype for him even though he came from Alabama it, it was just I mean you know in the spring game he looked solid he didn't look like Gonzo or anything like that but okay if if Phil still thinks that maybe he's right maybe we're all about to be surprised on that front but I look at the, the room of cornerbacks, not just safeties, but corners. And you had, you had four corners a year ago that, that saw meaningful snaps for the Ducks. Christian Gonzalez, Triquez Bridges, Dante Manning, and Jaleel Florence. And three of those guys are back. And you added Kyrie Jackson. Cole Martin looked like, as a true freshman, he could play right away, frankly. But let's, let's assume that you know that doesn't happen super often, though it did with Jaleel Florence a season ago. You add Nico Reed and, you know, maybe it's a personnel sub package sort of thing because I, I don't know. I don't think I'm alone on this front. I, I loved what I saw from Jalil Florence last year. I, I really think that Florence can become a lockdown corner. And look, Oregon's going to put the best team on the field they possibly can in 2023. But I think Florence's upside is being that sort of cornerback, is being that that number one kind of guy, and he has to see the field in order to develop into that for the Ducks, and I think he's already a capable player, but I think he's got plenty of room to grow, and I'm really interested to see where he fits in the depth chart, because last year, he was kind of the number three cornerback at times. You know, it was Gonzo, it was Bridges, and then sometimes it was Florence, sometimes it was Manning. Like they, you know, mixed and matched quite a bit a season ago. But 
with Nico Reed now in the fold, I'm interested to see where, you know, Florence kind of kind of falls here because I think his upside is is really really high, but I, you know, I could see the other guys having successful seasons as well. Yeah, and then another th- yeah, that's that's why I feel like the cornerback spot is is one of the positions I'm so so <sighs> intrigued by. Um like we were talking before the spring game like oh who are you most excited to see? I'm like I want to see what's going on with the corners. Um, and I think that's still the case heading into 23, just because they added so many guys. You know, we still haven't seen Roger Pleasant. We still haven't seen Dalen Austin. Um, but corner is one of those spots that is super, super difficult to break into uh, early on versus, you know, running back. Maybe you see more guys uh, playing early there, as was the case with Jordan James having a big role last year, a, a bigger role than maybe some people expected. Um, but I think, you know, another... Another spot that we should talk about is uh, is tight end because the Ducks went kind of heavy at, at tight end in the portal, um, you know, bringing in Casey Kelly from Old Miss and then bringing in Caden Ludwig from Ludwig from Colorado, who, mind you, played linebacker while he was at Colorado. I think it was just for one year. Um, but like that's another interesting thing to look at when you're just kind of comparing the, the needs there. Uh, I think tight end became a, a bigger need than Oregon probably expected. Uh, during the offseason with the transfers of Malik and Matavao and Cam McCormick. And then you got Terrence Ferguson getting banged up uh, in, in the spring. So you can kind of bring in these guys to that I think, quite frankly, don't have big expectations. Um, I think part of that is because you're feeling good about what you have in Terrence Ferguson. And then Patrick Herbert played his first full season, um, you know, staying healthy and you feel good about what you have there. And then you also have uh, um, Sadiq as well, who, who looked good in spring. So I think that's another interesting position to look at because that was an absolute need, but I don't think that the guys that they added there are, you know, guys that you think are going to necessarily be big difference makers, at least as we stand right now in June, haven't seen either of them play in an Oregon offense. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's tough to know like exactly how impactful everybody is going to be, but I, I think you look at the hall that, that they've brought in and each one has, you know, logic behind it, right? You look at each move and say, okay, yeah, here's why they did it. Okay, yeah, here's why they did that. And I think some were more essential than others, but, you know, big picture, the the, the tight end room that, that Oregon has now, it, it, it's got enough scholarship-capable bodies. I think uh, uh, Ludwig, though, is a, is a preferred walk-on, at least right now. Uh, maybe, so, yeah. yeah, maybe that'll change in a year, but... You would think because he's out of position. Yeah, probably. So I I think that the tight end room is not exactly what they were going for. I think they wanted Varkis Gums from North Texas, and he chose Arkansas instead. Twice. Yeah, yeah, twice. So I don't think that the tight end room is bad. I certainly think it is a step back from what it was a season ago from a depth standpoint, because Patrick Herbert, who's fine, by the way. There's nothing wrong with Patrick Herbert. He's solid. I don't think he's anything special. And... He was number four on the depth chart a year ago. He's now number two. Now, maybe he's poised for a big jump, right? Maybe he increases uh, his blocking capability, which was solid but not amazing a year ago. Maybe he becomes a more prolific pass catcher, maybe because he has to. I don't know. But I think with five tight ends in the room, you've got enough guys there, and they clearly feel good enough about where each guy can you know fall into from from a depth chart standpoint Oregon used a lot of tight ends a season ago because they had a lot of good ones I, w- I would feel better about the room as a whole 
if we'd kept either Matavau or or Cam McCormick. Um, I I was pretty shocked that Matavau left because tight ends are tandems, really, right? And and especially in the offense that Oregon was running a year ago, it was a lot of tight end tandems. And I really thought T. Ferg and Matavau were pretty clearly, I mean, T. Ferg is clearly the best. He's an NFL guy. I think he's gone after this year. But they were clearly the top two to me. Matavau in the run blocking perspective and T. Ferg from the pass catching perspective. But T. Ferg is also a pretty solid blocker too. So I, I liked what they both brought. And, and Herbert has to, I think, step into that role. Because I don't think either Casey Kelly or, or Caden Ludwig are guys that are going to be, you know, just like plug and play starters, explosive, big time impact guys. I don't think that's why they were brought in. I don't think that's what they're there to do. And look, maybe we just end up running more 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, and three receivers under the Will Stein offense than, you know, what Kenny Dillingham did a season ago, where when Oregon would go five wide, you had a running back and a tight end out there. So, or you, often you had, I think, running back and two tight ends in the in the pattern, and you know maybe he wants to run more four wide receivers. I don't know. But like we have to wait and see what what Will Stein wants to do on that front. But I think the tight end room is fine. I don't think it's as deep as it was with talent a season ago. But I think they did what what they needed to do to be able to hold things over for the offense this year. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I, that's that's a great way to put it. You know, like we're not trying to criticize it or say it's not great, um, but, you know, it looks like they're at least going to be able to be serviceable. Um, and, you know, you have multiple guys that you can bring in to kind of be that number two guy to T-Ferg, um, which is, I kinda, you know, that's kind of what you want at the end of the day. Um, another position that I want to talk about that is really interesting to me and I feel like paints a good picture of how Lanning is attacking the portal and maybe a key difference between 2022 and 2023 is the safety spot in the secondary because the Ducks bring in two safeties with Tysheem Johnson and, and Evan Williams. But again, if you're looking at a numbers from a numbers standpoint and an experience standpoint, maybe not a glaring need that you think would correlate with bringing two safeties. And, and what do I mean by that? You know, Steve Stevens, Brian Addison played a lot of football uh, for the Ducks. And then you have some young guys, um, you know, with, with Cody DeCambra, Tyler Turner coming in from this past class. Um, I feel like there's probably some more guys on the actual roster that I can name. Um, but you lose Bennett Williams from a season ago. The The bottom line is that Brian Addison and Steve Stevens have played a lot of football. And then you lose Jamal Hill because he's a linebacker now. But 
the the thing that I'm taking away from this is that I just feel like you haven't seen the production from either Stevens or Addison to confidently head into next season without making some additions at the safety spot. And I think that bringing in guys like Evan Williams and Tyshim Johnson, Tyshim Johnson's versatility was a huge talking point all of spring uh, spring football, by the way, you know, just moving all over the secondary. I think bringing those two guys in shows the urgency specifically that Lanyon is attacking the portal with. And honestly, you know, on a bigger note, just, you know, there's less of a margin for error. Like, you know, you, you can take more, you take more guys in this 23 class because you have the luxury to do so, but it's also sending the message. Like, you know, if, if you're, I think it's, if you're not, you know, panning out or at least being a rotational guy by the end of your second year, kind of, Like, you know, it's that you kind of coaches are forced to make that decision a little bit sooner now, you know, who are you going to kind of give the benefit of the doubt to and be more patient with, or who do you make that call with? Like, Hey, you know, you were here two years, we haven't really seen it. uh, And and I think it's best for us to, you know, go different ways. Um, And that's kind of a big picture thing. So I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. I feel like just adding more guys shows that they want to win now and that they have an urgency to get guys that are going to contribute and contribute right away. And it's no secret that you're bringing in guys from the portal. If you bring in guys from the portal, you expect them to make some noise sooner than from the high school ranks. I think you had four rotational safeties who played consistently a year ago for the Ducks. Brian Addison, Steve Stevens, Jamal Hill, and Bennett Williams. So those were kind of your four. So Jamal Hill moves down to linebacker and Bennett Williams graduates. So that leaves you with, with two from from last year's room, Steve Stevens and Brian Addison. I think bringing in Tysheem Johnson and Evan Williams. I thought Tysheem looked good in the spring game. He looked fast. You know, that big explosive hit he had to break up a pass play in the flat. I mean, he, you know, identified, triggered, got up, and just really uh, looked, looked disruptive and explosive. Uh, all, all at the same time, which I think is what was lacking from the safety room a year ago. And I think when you look at what Oregon got from that position, they are trying to get faster, number one, because they got beat over the top too often. I mean, Bennett Williams was a good player from 15 yards and in. But once you put him in open space time and time and time again, especially at the end of the year, he got burned. He, he got burned over and over again. He just wasn't that sort of player. Just doesn't have that that sort of speed. He's effective as a box safety, but frankly, if you know Bennett Williams had been coming back for another season, I would have said the same thing that I say about Jamal Hill, which is I think bulking up and going to linebacker is where you're going to be most effective because Williams was a good blitzer. He forced that fumble against Arizona uh, down in the desert of Jaden Delora. He was a really good tackler. He's a really really good tackler. One of the best tacklers according to uh, PFF on Oregon's team a season ago. And he was okay, not great, but okay in coverage as long as he was kind of around the first down marker or closer, but anything past that, and, and it's just not where he was able to succeed. So I think the staff is looking at, you know, their safeties room with Tysheem and Evan Williams now. And I think those are going to be your two starters along with uh, Brian Addison would be my guess. Uh, you know, Addison, I think, is the fastest or most explosive athlete of the bunch. He is a really, really fast guy and is an experienced college football player as well. 
And I think Steve Stevens is still going to be a part of the rotation because of his experience, because of his leadership. You know, that's been talked about by coaches after practice pretty regularly from what I've heard over the last couple of months. I know you're uh, more on that beat than than I am since I'm obviously not on it at all. But like you've been there and heard that sort of stuff and get what, what I'm saying is, you know, Steve has been around for a long time. He knows playbooks. He knows coverages. He understands, you know, assignments and everything like that. So I, I think that he still is going to be a rotational player. But like, if we're being honest about Steve, he's 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 fine. He's solid, but he's not the sort of guy who you'd say, oh, well, he's got a starting spot and you can't take it from him. No, you absolutely can't. If you were a more explosive athlete, if you were just, you know, a, a more impactful player, I think you absolutely can, you know, move him to a more rotational role, but I don't expect him to get moved out of it entirely. I'd also watch for JJ Greenfield, who played a decent amount in... I really like him. I think he's yeah, underrated. Yeah, he, he played a decent amount in the Holiday Bowl, and he looked pretty good in the time that, that, that he was on the field, and he's been with the Ducks for, for several seasons now. So I expect all those guys to kind of be the top safety options this season, but I do think Taishim and Evan both are going to be two of your primary safeties this year. And Brian Addison was easily, easily your most impactful safety a year ago if you're talking about the back end of the defense and playing over the top. He had a couple interceptions. He had some big hits. He graded well in coverage. I don't remember an instance in which, you know, he got seriously burned last year, whereas I, you know, can think of those sorts of moments with some of the other guys. So I I think that's a really solid place for Oregon to be with their safeties is having some returning production, understanding what, you know, these guys did well, moving Jamal Hill down to linebacker, I think is going to work out and then bringing in guys who you feel can bolster the overall production from that room. Cause it's gotta be better for the ducks. We got one more position I want to talk about, and then we'll kind of wind it down with our final takeaways. And we're comparing these two cycles. Um, as long as that's cool with you, Spencer, I think yep. we're, we're cool on timing. So We've talked about a lot of different positions, but there's one guy that we have to hit on before we get out of here in more detail, and it's Jordan Birch. Because I think you and I can both agree he's the the transfer that they get with the most hype. And I also think that probably needs to fill the biggest need, which is getting after the quarterback. Um, and I think that when you look at Jordan Birch, when I look at Jordan Birch, I'm not going to say flat out that he can have the same impact that Bo Nix had in 2022 because that just doesn't make sense you know the edge rusher doesn't impact the overall game like the quarterback does but when you're looking at where Oregon has fallen short in recent years and where they haven't lived up to the billing and the potential that they've had it's getting after the quarterback so I think that Jordan Birch pretty much has the ability um, and you know the need to have the biggest impact from this entire portal hall in this 23 class. And there's a lot of reasons that I think he can do it. You look at Dan Landing coaching him up, Tosh Lapoy, Tony Tuioti. You look at the depth that he's going to be playing alongside with guys on the interior and on the edge, like uh, Mace Funa, Brandon Dorless, Casey Rogers, Popo Amavai coming back. Having that, that talent alongside him is going to just, I think, elevate what he can achieve because he's not the one guy that you can focus on. I think that last year you had Mace Funa and DJ Johnson and, you know, they were good and Brandon Doros was getting out for the quarterback. But when you add more pieces to complement that, it's just making your overall defense so much harder to slow down. So that's kind of the point that I wanted to, to drive home is that I don't think Jordan Birch is going to impact the 2023 Oregon Ducks like Bo Nix impacted the 2022 Oregon Ducks. But I think he kind of 
you know, fill, could fill that void and just have that kind of, uh, you know, an impact and a difference on the defense and just filling a glaring need because that's what Bo Nix did last year. They had a need at quarterback. They, things were not working out, um, you know, especially with the guys that they had on the roster. Uh, so if you bring in a guy like Jordan Birch, I think, you know, he's hopefully tailor made for this defense and, and he can really help this defense take it up a notch. Um, like we've talked about with some of these other pieces that they've added from the portal on defense. Yeah. And hopefully that'll have a reverse effect as well. You know, Brandon Dorless grades very, very well in uh, PFF and NFL draft circles as he should. And I think he passes, you know, RI tests as fans as being an above average defensive lineman. And I think that, you know, he's only going to be freed up more by the emergence potentially of Jordan Birch or if Mateo Uyunglele. You know, if you put all of those guys, someone was commenting on uh, on one of my shows earlier today about the possibility of having kind of a pass rush uh, package along the defensive line and you slide Jordan Birch to the interior, you put Dorless in there, you have Mateo at one edge and Mace Funa at the other. I do think that is probably a lineup that includes Oregon's four best pass rushers, and you can put them out there because Birch, you know, is an edge player but can play on the inside, much like Brandon Dorless, who moved back and forth a season ago. I think Dorless is stronger on the interior because he doesn't quite have that, you know, kind of bend around the tackle speed the way that you think of like a Kayvon Thibodeau or other great edge pass rushers have to get after the quarterback. But his moves, his footwork, his handwork especially, is as good as any interior Oregon offensive or defensive lineman that that I can remember. He's really, really good. And he can bull rush guys too, but he's just so, you don't say it about a defensive lineman a lot, he's so crafty and smart, and he's a very heady player. And I think he understands angles incredibly well and how to, you know, get an offensive lineman off balance, set him up for one move, you know, make him think you're going this way and then go the other way. And he has that kind of, you know, burst of quickness, not necessarily speed, but he kind of has that, you know, quickness and agility to work really well in the interior. And I think if you line him up there, Birch at one edge typically and put Casey Rogers in the middle to swallow up a double team, maybe or Taimani or Popo and then Mateo or Mace Foon at the other edge spot. I think that defensive line is just massively upgraded from what they had a season ago. And I, I, I hope that Birch can have the sort of impact that we need him to. But really, I, I just am looking for production from the whole unit to kind of, you know, improve from where they were a season ago. And then you also have a lot of these 23 guys that we haven't really even got much of a look at. Blake Purchase, Gatorade Player of the Year out of Colorado. Ashton uh, Porter. Ashton Porter, Terrence Green. You know, have Murray a lot Washington, of guys you know, yeah, no. that, aren't, that aren't even, you know. I, you know for, and, 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 and frankly, on, on the true freshman, Max, I, I'm not expecting to see a lot of them on the field unless, you know, it's kind of a blowout because I just look at the depth that Oregon has. And aside from edge, I, I see – and, and at one edge spot, I see a two deep pretty clear. And I don't know how a true freshman could come in and be that sort of guy. Maybe purchase. I know you've been really high on him for a long time coming out of Colorado. Maybe he's, you know, your fourth edge guy with Birch, Mateo and, and Mace. But when you look at the interior of this defensive line, unless you have a special player, all those prospects, you know, Terrence Green, Amari Washington, Ashton Port, they, they all project as good power five starters but who are they replacing on the interior you know what i mean like take amari washington and terrence green could both be really good players on the defensive line for the ducks one day 
if they reach their potential. But in what world is a true freshman who's you know not a five-star recruit? These are four-star guys, so it's not as if they have zero hype. But unless you were like an, a world-beating talent or you blow everybody's expectations out of the water, who are you replacing? Because you're too deep on the interior right now. Looks like Brandon Dorless, no one's touching him. Casey Rogers started all of last year. Sam Taimani and Popo Amavai. Like who, like, who are you knocking off? You know what I mean? Yeah, so definitely not in 23. Yeah, not in 23, but in 24, opportunities will be more plentiful because I think Taimani will be done. Uh, Dorless will be in the NFL. I think Casey Rogers will be done too. So that's why I think Oregon, you know, recruited so smartly in, in the 2023 cycle, having all those interior guys and doing the same thing in 2024 because they see the writing on the wall the way we do, which is you're going to lose a lot of guys from that particular position group. But for this particular season... I don't see, you know, any true freshman outside of Mateo able to get reps unless it's at the edge position. So maybe, you know, maybe Tatum Tuioti pops or Blake Purchase or I think Ashton Porter can play defensive end. Uh, he's not necessarily an edge player, which is a hybrid outside linebacker, but he could be, you know, a, a defensive end in, in certain situations. So, so maybe uh, one of those guys, but overall... I, I think the defensive line is pretty clear, and I think the true freshmen are, you know, going to have to wait their turn. But that's okay because they probably need to get in the weight room anyway. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think that's we definitely have a lot of the same, you know, viewpoints on that. We'll end it on this, Spencer. So I think we kind of agree, but I really do feel like the 2022 portal hall is going to have a bigger singular season impact. I think those guys in 2022 will end up having a bigger impact on what the Ducks did in 2022 than the guys in this 23 portal hall will have on 23. I think that's kind of where I'm at right now um, in terms of just a lot of guys that filled immediate needs. And then like we talked about, you know, some of those luxury additions, kind of what we were calling them, guys that they didn't necessarily need really badly. And maybe their path to playing time is a little bit more murky than some of those guys from 2022. And then also you have a lot of multi-year guys in this um, 23 hall. So I think that um, it's not saying that the 22 hall is better than Oregon's 23 hall. I think I just wanted to try to, you know, come to some conclusion on that question that we posed at the beginning of which one is going to have a bigger singular year impact, which one's going to be more impactful. I tried to kind of narrow it down to one year. So I think I'm going 22, 22, but I really like the guys that they added in 23. And you do have some of those guys that are going to need to fill immediate roles like Justin Jacobs at linebacker and then Jordan Birch on the edge. Uh, and then I also think that some of these guys at safety are going to carve out a spot pretty much right away. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, is that where you're at? You know, what kind of final thoughts do you have here? Well, I have many thoughts, Max, all the on, time. On this it's particular topic, I always have have many thoughts all the time. No, I I I think we're we're in pretty lockstep agreement here that I think Oregon's in a better place. We have to see it on the field, but I talked about on my show recently that you know on paper. This is a better Oregon roster, and the portal classes definitely factor into that. I, I think the 23 portal class, th there are just a lot of unknowns, right? You go down, you see the talent and the star rankings and whatnot, but Nico Reed, how much does he play? Nishad Strother, does he play on the offensive line? Is a Johnny Cornelius a starter? Is Junior Angelau going to play on the interior? What about Connor Soelli? How does he factor into the rotation? Not a super highly, you know, coveted transfer portal prospect. Is Kyrie Jackson a big pop? I think there are just so many unknowns. And the only knowns I feel like we have for for this year's portal class are Trayshawn Holden and Tez Johnson will be big parts of, of the offense. Evan Williams and uh, Taishim Johnson will be big factors on the defense. But 
everybody else, there are questions, yeah, there are position battles. There's there's still kind of an unknown unknown factor there. Yeah, I feel like you think Justin Jacobs is probably a pretty big piece of the, the linebacker core on defense. I'd like to think so, yes. The unknown I have with him is health, right? He's sure. ju- he's basically Justin Flo without an extra star. That's what he was at Iowa. Brief glimpses, looked really good, but was never healthy. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, I, I definitely think that he's going to be a huge, huge part of that defense just because they, they have so few options there and not, not as much depth as I, I think that they would ideally have. Um, but we'll definitely we'll definitely pick up this conversation again at some point, I bet. But we're getting a little long here on this episode. So before we get out of here, where can people find more and uh, more of you and your work? Yeah, my work is uh, Locked On Pac-12 and Locked On Ducks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts, free and available Monday through Friday all year round. And I'm on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55. If you ever want to shoot me a note on there, DMs and mentions are wide open as we record this i've got about 15 notifications to respond to on twitter about realignment because everybody's popping off right now so if you want your conference realignment fixed i'm talking about that basically every day because that's what the people care about over in locked on pack 12 but max always great to be on with you man yeah appreciate you coming on spencer you guys make sure you tap in and lock in with spencer if you want to find more of me you can follow me on twitter and instagram at m sports like i said gonna be at the elite 11 all week um, no Oregon quarterbacks, Michael Van Buren and Luke Moga did not earn invites, but I'm going to be there covering a lot of the greatest future football stars. So super stoked about that. Subscribe to my YouTube channel at Oregon football, Max Torres, check me out writing the latest and greatest in Oregon football recruiting on ducksdigest.com. And then, uh, lastly, share the show, share the ducks dish podcast with your friends, with your family and with other duck fans. Greatly appreciate your guys' support. And, uh, yeah, until next time, thanks so much for taking some time to talk some ball. You've been listening to another episode of the Duck's Dish Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.